Morning. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think of how to say this. Today is our actual, our last message in the book of Matthew. But it's not our last message in the series from Matthew because uh, over the next couple weeks I want to cover a couple things that uh, Matthew didn't cover in depth just because it's more of a kingdom gospel than it is a salvation gospel like John. So uh, I'll be preaching on salvation, sanctification, security, baptism, things like that over the next couple weeks and then we'll tie it all together. Uh, but today we're going to go ahead and jump into this one. Now, um, last week we were looking at some of the events. We just started looking at some of the events that happened right after the resurrection. Okay, and today we're going to look at one of the most important events and one of the most important commands that Jesus made. Now, this command has become known as the Great Commission. How many people have heard of that? The Great Commission. Okay. Now, this is one of Jesus' most powerful but also most misunderstood statements. Okay, because a lot of Christian people interpret this commission pretty loosely. Okay, and like what I'm saying is they, they actually kind of just tow the company line when it comes to this one. And by saying that, I mean they just kind of take the popular interpretation. I mean, there's sometimes we believe things because people have believed that for a long time. You know what I mean? And it's a dangerous situation to be in, but there are a lot of times we believe something, we're convinced of something, just because we've been taught it our whole life, we, didn't, we can't really back it. You know, we can't really prove it. It's just something we believe. We just kind of toe the company line. And that's, that happens a lot with the Great Commission. So today we're going to break that down, start unpacking the meaning of that. Now, when we look really close at this, I think you're going to be amazed at just how inspirational this passage is. And I, and I think you're going to see how insightful it is, too. Because here's the thing. The Great Commission should be the fuel that drives Christianity and churches. That should be the fuel, right? I love this. Oswald J. Smith wrote, the church that does not evangelize will fossilize. <laughs> I love that. Anybody ever been in the fossilized church? You know what I mean? Well, it's true. But the one thing I don't want you to get lost in, and we're going to try to dispel this today, is that the Great Commission is about so much more than just evangelism. Okay, so let's start breaking this down. We'll start in Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen. It says, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, them being the disciples. Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now, the first thing he wanted to do, the first thing Jesus wanted to do, was establish with the disciples, maybe remind them, refresh or encourage them, however you want to say that, that, that his authority was, was equal to God, equal to God the Father, God the, the Holy Spirit. I mean, he was a third part of the Trinity. He was a powerful part of the triune God, and he had all the authority of God. He had it when he was here on earth. He had it before anything was created, and he still has it now, right? And because of that, he knows all of our gifts. He knows what all of us are capable of, and he has the authority to commission us to employ those things. Okay, if you look at 1 Peter 4.10, it says, As each one of you has received a spiritual gift. Now, notice when he says this, this isn't in question form, right? I mean, he knows that all of us have a spiritual gift. So as each one of us has a spiritual gift, what? employ it, right? Employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Okay, I want you to remember this. No one who is a believer, no one who has trusted Christ for their eternal life, no one should be spiritually unemployed. It just shouldn't be. If you're a believer, God has something for you to do. He has something, right? Now, when you believe, I think sometimes you forget, yes, you have eternal life. That's, that's an amazing gift by grace. That's something that's 
amazing about faith in Christ is he gives us something we don't deserve. We don't have to work to keep it. We'll deal with that later. Right? But along with that gift comes a responsibility. Okay? And that responsibility is we should share the gospel that delivered us with other people. It's an opportunity as much as it is uh, a responsibility. Right? And, and so that's what we should be doing. The first thing we should be doing as soon as we believe. But what we have to do is find out how. Now listen, God doesn't make this a mystery. Generally, what you're good at, that's going to be around your gifting. Okay, God's not going to gift someone who can't do something to do something. Generally, I know in the Bible we see people that do stuff like Moses said, you know, I'm slow of speech, you know, I can't. You know, here's the deal. That was just a lie. He was, he was making an excuse. God knew that he was a prince in Egypt. He was trained in languages. He was a good speaker. He was just a coward. All right, he said, listen, I'm slow of speech. He says, yeah, 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 don't worry about it. Your brother Aaron can get your back if you need him. You know what I mean? He, he doesn't ask us to do something that we can't do. So we need to find out what God wants to do with our specific gift, right? And so the disciples, as soon as they hear this, as soon as they hear what he says, I have all authority, and he gives them this commission. As soon as they hear that, they're all in. And you've got to remember, we're talking, they just saw him tortured and crucified, and now they see him resurrected, and so they're at an all-time high on confidence in the power of God right now. So they were just all in. And because they were all in, right, the whole world was changed. But here's something I think we forget. The disciples were just normal people. Have you ever kind of looked back in the scriptures, and it doesn't help that anybody ever see like some of the pictures of, uh, from Da Vinci that they put in some of those big Bibles, those monster Bibles? You know what I'm talking about, the big, huge ones? that you know, tons of people have, and I don't think anybody reads. But they have these awesome paintings in them. But whenever they show, like, one of the apostles, they, like, have a glow behind them or something like that. So it's like, like no one would know they were from God if they're walking around glowing, right? Well, they were actually just normal people, fishermen, right, businessmen, just farmers, normal people just like you and I. The difference, the reason they were so successful, the reason they were able to turn the world upside down was because they were all in. They were all in. They trusted him. They knew that he wouldn't give them to do something to do that they couldn't do. And they put all their chips on the table, and God used them in a powerful way. They heard. They understood. They knew the terms of that commission, and they just got to work. So one of the things I want to do is break down this commission today, this great commission, and, and see what it's actually saying. Okay, so Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. it says, what's the first word? Go. Okay, go, therefore... And make disciples of all nations. Say that with me. Of what? All nations. nations. That's going to be important. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Okay, every time I hear that, I think of that joke. You guys ever hear that one about lo, I'm with you, even to the end of the age? There was this preacher who was afraid of flying. And he said, listen, you're, you're one of the most well-known pastors out there. You've inspired people all over the country. Why are you afraid to fly? You know God is with you. He said, well, in the Good Commission, it says, lo, I am with you. Up there is not low. <laughs> I know. Wah, wah, wah. Anyway, so I had to. I had to. I had, I had to. Right, so now this Great Commission, it actually has five commands and one assurance. We're going to look at each one. Let's first just brisk over them, then we'll explain them. The first command was to go. Okay, was to go. The second command was to make disciples, disciples. The third command was kind of giving the boundaries 
of the first two commands. The first two commands were go and make disciples. The third command was telling them where of all nations, right? The fourth command was baptizing them. And this meant that the disciples would baptize those whom they made disciples. All right, now the fifth command was to teach those disciples that they made or that they led into a state of discipleship to obey. Okay, then the assurance was, uh, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Okay, so if you're going to serve God, if you're going to serve God, you have to understand something. His presence is always with you. Always with you. The Holy Spirit directs you and encourages you. It's the Holy Spirit that tells you when you're getting on that wrong path. Has anybody ever felt that? It's hard to explain to people. I'll never forget a lady comes up to me one time. I made her mad, but I mean, such is my life. But I was talking to someone, and she just butted in. You know, we were talking about this woman felt like she had drifted off the path, and, and she came to me, and she was honest, and we had talked about what she had to do to get back, you know, into the will of God. And this woman just walks up, butts in, and she goes, I never feel guilty about nothing. I, I'm, I wanted to look at her and go, and nobody cares. But anyway, she says, butts in. And I said, are you a Christian? She said, yes. And she said, I don't ever feel bad. Whatever I do, I don't feel bad about it. And I said, well... You know, the Bible talks about that. And she said, what do you mean? And I said, well, the Bible says if you're without discipline, of which all have become partakers, you are illegitimate children and not sons. She said, what does that mean? I said, if you never feel bad about doing wrong, you're not his. And she stormed off. But hey, I didn't, I didn't say, hey, lady, come over here and let me insult you. That's not how that whole deal went down. You know, she, she asked, right? So the Holy Spirit guides you, it encourages you, it directs you, and it disciplines you. It tells you when things just aren't right. And his word, the word of God, actually prepares you. Okay, Hudson Taylor said, God's word done God's way will never lack God's supply. I love that. He's saying if you're doing it his way, you never have to worry about it. It's basically what he's saying. So I think sometimes we forget that nothing we face, we face alone. And we'll look more at that as we move down throughout this pa- these passages. But I want to explain what's involved in carrying these out. So the first thing he said was, Go make disciples of all nations. So the first commission, the disciples, was to go. Okay, and I think we kind of just breathe, breathe right past that and go straight to make disciples, don't we? But the first commission was really go, right? And the Greek word is toriumai, and what it means is to travel, to journey, to be on one's way. That's what it means when it says go. Okay, but what is not in this definition is almost as important as what is in the definition. Because the definition, once again, says to travel, to journey, to be on one's way. Right? That's what's in there. What it does not say is sit on your butt and watch others invest and get busy for God. That's what it doesn't say. Because it implies that you're going to be doing something. It implies that you're going to be getting busy here, doing something for God. So, one thing people have to remember, the very first part of his command is you've got to be willing to go. You've got to be willing to get busy for God. You have to be willing to do that. Sadly, I just don't know that that's the case like it used to be. You know what I mean? It doesn't, doesn't seem like Christians are as inspired as they used to be, or believers, I should say, to get out and do something. I mean, if they, if they go to church, I mean, they feel like they've done their obligation for the week, and that's it. But that's not what he said. He said to go, right? And when we choose to be dormant, It's not only lazy, and it is lazy, right? But it's also selfish, okay? Because look at it like this. It's kind of like you having life-saving medication 
that the world needs, and you just say, eh, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to take it out to anybody. Would anybody here do that? I mean, could anybody here live with themselves knowing that people are dying all over the world and you have the cure? Well, listen, realistically here, spiritually, we have the cure to something that's killing everybody, and that's sin. We know how to teach them through the Word of God how to accept the payment for that sin, right? And whatever you're good at, God's probably going to use that, like we said earlier. So you have to actually try and be willing to get up and go. Go do something. It's okay to try things if you don't work. If it doesn't work out for you, we'll try something else. But there's not an option that says just sit on your couch and do nothing. That's just not an option. Okay, now the next thing he says, and this one has a, a lot of controversy. Shouldn't be. The next thing he says, first he says go, meaning get off the couch right the next thing he says is make disciples okay now here's where a lot of confusion comes in because the word disciple in the greek is methetes and what it means is student or follower that's what it means student pupil or follower it does not now and never has meant christian or believer disciple and christian are not synonymous they're not used that way in the bible because the Pharisees had disciples. Okay? John the Baptist had disciples. The philosopher Gamaliel at that time had disciples. Because it just means a student or a follower. That's all it means. Now the Greek phrase that's used here for make disciples is a little bit different. It's methetuo. And what it means is to cause someone to become a disciple or a follower or a student of something or someone that's what it means when it said make disciples and the wording here implies that what jesus was really saying if this were better interpreted in the english it would say go and make my disciples basically make them my disciples is what he's telling them so believe it or not the focus here really isn't evangelism right the focus here is discipleship now don't take me wrong jesus knew that they would have to you know share the gospel with them, and most of them would believe, and, you know, they needed to be believers if they were going to be his disciples, they were going to be believers, if they were going to be successful at it. But the, the main drive here is to make them pupils or followers. See, he knew that the gospel is powerful, right? And it has a way of working on people. We always try to think of new and creative ways to teach people they can have eternal life, but the gospel will do that for you if you're willing to, to just share it. I don't know about you guys, but when I first started hearing the gospel, it, it started doing something in me. Anybody else notice that? It started doing something. Because, you know, I was raised to think that I had to earn my way to heaven, and, and you know, I had to, you know, make up for every sin I committed, which I, as soon as I heard that, I'm like, well, I'm going to hell. Because I couldn't even remember all the sins I committed, you know, but I actually thought I had to do all those things. And the first time someone told me, listen, it doesn't matter what you've done doesn't matter who you are. The Bible says that whosoever believes will have eternal life. And the gospel, the words of God just started speaking to me. The gospel means good news. And the good news that they shared with me was that it wasn't about what I had to offer. It was about what he had to offer. And that was eternal forgiveness to anyone who would believe. But what Jesus was saying here is, yes, I know you're going to go and share this gospel and you're going to tell them about me, but I don't want you to just go in and share the gospel and, and confirm their faith and just leave. 
there are so many churches that get caught up with that, and, you know, I'm not pointing anyone specifically out, but it's, you know, they want the numbers. They want to be able to tell everybody, oh, we had 12 saved last month. That is, doesn't impress me as much as what happened to them afterwards. What happened to them? I mean, did you, did you get them set up with your discipleship people? Did you, did you give them a Bible? I don't know what they believed, you know, notch. Like you get to heaven and get a signing bonus or something, you know what I mean? That's not, that's not how it works. You know, Jesus was saying, I don't want you to just share the gospel. I want you to make them students of the word of God. I want you to make them fully committed disciples. Because if he can turn the world upside down with 12 men, imagine how much more powerful the movement will be when there's other people just as committed as those 12 or those 11 at that time. I mean, this is what he was saying. Don't just make it about getting saved. You know, and sometimes I think churches kind of go on the extreme of both ends of that. Either they're all about getting people saved, and after they're saved, out of the heck with them. Right? And I asked a church one time, I'm not making this up. I asked a guy one time, he was always talking about how many people came to the, al- came to the altar, which is just another euphemism for, you know, they got saved. And I'd say, that's amazing. So he was talking to me, and over the course of a year, he probably talked, told me about 100 people that had come down. And that, w- that is awesome. And I asked him, I said, well, how many people do you have? And he, and he explained to me how many people is in his church. And I'm like, isn't that the, about the same amount you had last year? And he goes, yeah. I go, what's happening to all these people that are coming to the altar? He goes, ah, I don't know. You just have to figure they either didn't get it or they lost it. And then goes on with this conversation like it was no big deal. And I'm like, that, that's a problem, you know, beyond the fact that you think you can lose it, which is ridiculous. The problem is, is that you're just wanting to get that notch and let them go down the rope. That's not what it's about. That's not what Jesus commissioned us to do. We're to make them students of the gospel, just like he told the disciples. All right, so it's, it's really, really important here. Now, the other thing, now I might get a little passionate about this, but this is one of those things for me. I mean, this could turn into a rabbit, I'm just going to say. All right? But remember I told you he clarified the first two commands, go and make disciples? Right? And, the, and he, he clarifies that by saying, go and make disciples of all nations. That meant Jewish, Gentile alike, didn't matter, of all nations. All in the Greek means all. And that's what he was saying, all nations. Now, this is one of my biggest pet peeves. Biggest pet peeves. is When people say something like this, say this, why send people to other countries instead of just helping out our own? I have been asked that. I don't know, a thousand times? Why are we worried about what's happening to people in other countries? Why don't we worry about what's happening to people here? Listen, my response is usually, great, what are you doing for the people here? Generally, we're not doing anything here either. But what I usually say when they go, why would we go to other nations? Why would we reach out to other people? I'm like, well, first and foremost, the reason we do that is because Jesus said to. I mean, that's kind of a biggie, you know? Why do you guys go overseas? I don't know, because he said all nations. That's something he told us to do. I kind of like to do the things he tells us to do. Right? I love this. (laughs) Jonathan Hayashi said, you are either making disciples or making excuses. Which one are you? That is so true. Right? That is so true. I love this one too. William Carey said, to know the will of God, we need an open Bible and an open map. Okay? Because listen, our job is to take it not just here, we should be doing things here, which every church, I hope, is doing something within their community and their country, but we're also supposed to reach out to other countries. And here's why. Because 
the love that believers have for each other should know no boundaries. It just shouldn't know any boundaries. Race shouldn't matter. Gender shouldn't matter. Nationality shouldn't matter. Economic status shouldn't matter. And definitely distance can't matter. It just can't matter because we were told to do this. Right? Listen, the thing that really drives me crazy is people in other countries, if they know Christ, they're our brothers and sisters. Can you imagine having a brother or sister that moved to another country and said, well, that's the end of that family. You're gone. Now, you left the borders of the United States. You are no longer my brother. I don't care what happens to you. I'm focusing on the rest of my family that lives here. That's not how it works. They are our family. And we should be compassionate, and we should want to see them succeed. Now, if you look in the scriptures, the Apostle Paul and the other disciples, I mean, they just, they traveled all over the known world at that time, sharing the message, putting themselves in danger. They did so many things, traveled so many places, put themselves in so many difficult circumstances because they deemed everybody worthy of hearing the gospel and becoming a disciple. They, they thought everybody was worthy of that. But there's so much more to it, and this is why Jesus said make disciples. He didn't just say go make converts. Here's why that's so important. Because listen, we should go to other countries not just to share the gospel, but we also want to build relationships. Right? One of the biggest mistakes people make in their mind is that a mission is about what buildings you build and projects you get done. Now those things are important. Don't take me wrong. It's important to do things like that. I'm so proud of our, of our mission in, uh, in the Philippines because we just got a well and got water provided for a school that didn't have any. And they've got almost every student there provided with a meal at least once a day. And I don't know if you realize that, but some of those kids, that's the only meal they get. And it spread so fast because that is the only school in the surrounding area that has running water, that has a well. These children have nothing to drink. And they sent me videos and they they sent me pictures of how joyous everyone was over something as simple as something that we overlook, something like water. Just changed their world. There are six other schools that said, hey, you think you could help us? You know, water. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with doing those things. Helping them, you know, bringing water to them, bringing food to them. That's something you should want to do just as a humanitarian, even if you're not a believer. Right? But one of the big things I think we forget about is how important that relationship building is. I was talking to a lady one time in the Philippines because I had a ton of people that were just bugging me to death. And... It's those people that, you know, when you see them coming, you're willing to hide at Walmart. You know what I mean? Those people. Um, I had several of them at that time, right before I left for the Philippines. A ton of them. I've been there six times, and it seems like right before I go, they come crawling out of the woodworks like cockroaches for a sugar cube. They just end up out in the middle of me. Right? And so they were giving me all this stuff. You know, one of them said, well, why don't you take the money you'd use for your plane ticket and just send it over to them? They'd much rather have that. And I'm like, hmm, if only it were, not, you know, we're not a corrupt government. Right? But I kind of blew that off. Then they were saying, now they really don't want you over there, and, you know, blah, blah, blah. So when I got there, I sat down with this woman that I've known for a while, and I said, I want to ask you something. I said, would it be better for you if we just sent you the money that we spend on plane tickets to come over here? And she looks at me real serious. She goes, don't do that. No, don't do that. She said, we would rather have you here and not doing anything. If you can't afford to do anything else, we'd rather have you here. And I said, why? She said, because these people, look at what they have to put up with. Look at the, at the difficulty of their situation. Sometimes they just feel alone. 
Sometimes they feel like they're cut off from the western part of this world where everybody has it good. Right? Sometimes they feel like they're in this battle alone. And she said, you wouldn't believe the reformation that takes place just when you guys come over and let them know you love them and spend time with them and do Bible studies with them. She said, if that's all you did, she said, it would be worth it. I would rather you not send the money. If you could only do one thing, at least come over and let them know you love them and that they're part of your family. At least do that. And it really, really encouraged me. Because it was then that I realized that us appearing to them is like when the apostles would appear when we read throughout the scripture and it says and encourage them. You know how you know, they would appear at these other churches and encourage them and give them strength? We can still do that, and we are doing that when we go on these missions. Right? So this is really, really important You understand that it's not just about evangelism. Yes, that's important, but it's also about making disciples and letting those disciples know that they're not alone and there's no distance that makes them less a child of God or less in our family. It's so important. Right? Now the next thing he says is baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, baptism. I'm not going to spend much time on this, to be honest with you. Because over the next couple weeks, I'm going to be preaching on, you know, salvation, sanctification, security, baptism, discipleship. I'm going to get in-depth on those topics, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. But basically what he's saying is once they make that commitment, uh, the first step of discipleship is being baptized. And baptism to them was more of an affiliation. And the word literally, baptisma in the Greek, can mean, it has a dual meaning. It can mean to be fully immersed, and it can mean to be affiliated with which I better shut up or I'm going to be preaching away the message I'm preaching next week. But basically, he's saying, listen, if, if they believe, they should affiliate with me. So baptize them, okay? And we'll talk about that next week. I'm shutting up right now. Anyway, then the next thing he said was to teach these new disciples how to succeed. Matthew 28, 20, starting in the first part there, says, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. All right, so he's saying, I want you to teach these new disciples the value of the word of God. Because one surefire way to succeed is to obey the word of God. That's one, it's a surefire way. And I love this. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, be diligent to present yourself what? Good, but we skipped a lot there. Be diligent to present yourself what? Approved to God. Right? Be diligent to present yourself approved to God. Approved to God as what? As a workman. Right? Now, who does not need to be ashamed? Listen to this. How does all that happen? By what? accurately handling the word of the truth so if you want to be approved to god and if you want to be approved as a workman meaning someone who is doing his work and you want to be able to not be ashamed accurately handle the word of truth and people always ask me what does that mean when it says you know uh who does not need to be ashamed listen have you ever had somebody ask you a question that you should know and you don't have the answer you ever been there for somebody and they're in their time of need and you're trying to be there and then you realize that that, you know, you came to a gunfight with a knife, you know, because you don't know the answers. Now, listen, it's okay. That happens to everybody. It's okay as long as you're willing to say, listen, you know what? I'm going to go get you some scripture, and I'll bring this back to you. It's, it's okay to be in a situation like that. But if you catch yourself constantly in a situation like that, it can be a little embarrassing that, you know, I always walk around talking about how great God is, and I don't know anything about his word. Right? So, 2 Timothy tells us, if you want to be approved as a workman, know his word. Accurately handle his word. Because here's something that everyone needs to know. Okay, so remember this. It is impossible to be a successful believer without the word of God. It is impossible. 
can't happen. If you're not reading the word of God, I promise you, you're not where you're supposed to be with God. I promise you that. Because he told us, how do, we, how do we become approved? By knowing the word of God. There's a reason. Last week, remember we talked about the armor of God? How many people remember that last week? We talked about the armor of God. What was the only offensive weapon? The word of God, right? That's the only offensive weapon. The only one he gave us to defend ourselves with. Offensively, it was the word of God. And the reason is, is the word of God is so much more than just words on paper. And you can never convince people of that. When I'm trying to get people to read the word of God, they're always going, yeah, 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 I know. You're a preacher, you're supposed to tell me to read the word of God. Here's what most people think. I don't have to read the word of God. You do, just tell me about it. <laughs> Literally, that's why there's so many pastor quoters out there instead of Bible quoters. Pastor quoters drive me crazy. You know what I mean? It's okay to quote your pastor every once in a while, especially if you happen to have a very wise and good-looking one. But you shouldn't quote them if people are going, well, you know one. But you should be able to quote the word of God. That should come to you first. Right? Now, listen to this. This is, this is two of my favorite passages in the Bible. 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17. It says, all scripture. How much? All, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for what? Every good work. Okay, now, it's like God's direction, God's passion, God's vision, God's will is breathed onto these pages. People always say, I want to know the will of God. Well, open that book. It's in there. And I'm going to spend a little bit of time on this, okay? Because it's really, really important. There's not many times I will quote a sentence or something from the Greek, but the sentence is so important in these verses in 2 Timothy. Uh, it, you know, when he says, all scripture is inspired in the Greek, it's pas grafe theopneustos. And the reason I break that down is pas means all or every, meaning every single, nothing left out, all, everything. And grafe means scriptures or writings, meaning anything written in that book. All of them. Okay, and theopneustos means are breathed out of the mouth of God, or God breathed. See, the English doesn't translate perfectly. But I don't know about you, but that sounds a heck of a lot more powerful, doesn't it? For the word of God is breathed out of God for you. That's how powerful. You know, we use the word is inspired. All scriptures are inspired because there's not really a word here that accurately represents the opnustas. So the closest thing you can say, it would be outspired. And we don't have a word for that. You know what I mean? Well, we do now. Chris just made it. Outspired. There it is. Put that in the dictionary. That's, that's really the best way to, you know, to, to describe that. This is God pouring his heart out on these pages for you. That's how powerful the word of God is. That's why Jesus said, don't just go there and preach the gospel. Go there, preach the gospel. When they believe, teach them to become disciples and then teach them about the word of God. Teach them how important it is to know what's in there and to do what's in there. And if they do, they'll have success. Because when you understand that, that the word of God is, is literally breathed out of the mouth of God, it makes other passages make more sense, like Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is what? Living and active. Do you ever think about that? Living, have you, has it ever come to alive to you? 
I mean, where you're reading, have you ever been that smart aleck where you're like, well, I'm supposed to read, so I just open my Bible and read a passage. Pastor Chris said read a passage. You know, people go home, flop the Bible open like they're just going to cheat God and just do the passage because, you know, that's all they got to do. And the first passage they read is talking about their day. Has that ever happened to you? And it takes you right by the throat and you're like, oh, or maybe I'll read a little more. Because it just takes a hold of you. I mean, just takes a hold of you. Right? That's what it means when it says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow. Listen to this. And able to judge what? The thoughts and intentions of the heart. This is what's funny. I shouldn't say funny, but it is. It's just how warped I am. When you pray, you might as well pray honestly. Because... He knows your thoughts and intentions, right? So when you pray that big, long King James prayer that impresses everybody around you, but you don't mean one word of it, he knows. When you pray about that person at work, you want to choke out? Be honest with God. Lord, help me. I want to choke him out. You know that. Or Lord, you know what? I'm not really doing this ministry anymore, for any other reason than to make sure everybody thinks I'm righteous. My heart's really not in it. That's an honest prayer. That's when you get somewhere with God. Right? So, he already knows anyway. Right? He kno- the word of God's able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. It will reveal to you what you need to know because he knows what's going on in your heart. And it's so powerful that, that we don't just become a salvation station. That we also, you know, bring people to faith. Make them disciples and teach them how to use the word of God. See, God's word is so powerful because when you bring God's word with you everywhere you go, you are taking God himself into the daily battles you face, and it makes it so much easier, so much easier. You know, it really touched me. I was listening to some stories from missionaries about these people in China. They can't get Bibles. There's not many Chinese translation Bibles at the time, so they were tearing sections out and meeting secret places to exchange them so that they could read them. And a lot of them, you'd ask them, you know, why? Why are you willing to take a chance with your life like that? If they catch you with those, you're dead. Why are you willing to meet in basements and do these things? And they will tell you because we love the word of God. We love feeling God's presence through that word. It makes us realize how much he loves us. It teaches us about things we need to know. It's worth the risk. Those people are willing to die to have pages of scripture that's how powerful that really is okay now the last thing here is not actually a command or a commission it's an assurance from god matthew 28 20 it says and lo i gotta get that out of my head and lo <laughs> i heard that joke like 15 years ago it won't go away All right anyway it says and lo i am with you always even what to the end of the age Have you ever heard the phrase, the battle belongs to the Lord? You ever hear that song? There's a ton of songs over the years that have been given that title, the battle belongs to the Lord. Probably three times the amount of sermons that have been given that title, right? The battle belongs to the Lord. But that concept actually comes straight out of Scripture. It's from 2 Chronicles. Let me give you a little background here, okay? Because... Judah was under attack, and they were under attack by, by the nations of Moab and Ammon and Edom, right? And so the Jewish people, the Hebrews at that time, actually, were really intimidated 
because they knew the sizes of the armies they were up against. And they're like, listen, I'm no, you know, general and professional in battle strategy, but they're like four or five to one. That can't be good, right? That has to at least put the odds slightly in their favor. They were nervous about the size of the enemy's armies, and there was a priest there named Jehazaziel, and he said, listen to Second uh, Chronicles twenty fifteen, and he said, listen, all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not fear or be dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. You know what? That is so powerful. Because he was trying to assure them, listen, don't look at the numbers. Don't think about the statistics. Know this. If you are trying to accomplish God's will, he'll fight this fight for you if you'll give it to him. He will give you this battle if you'll just step back and let him. And this is the same thing with this assurance in the Great Commission. It's the same kind of assurance because Jesus was telling the disciples, I mean, think about this. Just a few days earlier, these disciples who are all in, who are ready to evangelize all nations, remember just a few days before this, they abandoned Jesus at his arrest. They ran to leave him alone. They were in hiding when Jesus appeared to them. Okay, the only brave people we've seen up to this point were the faithful women we've talked about, right? All the rest of them, Peter was kind of brave until he was questioned by a little girl. But these women, they were brave. Other than that, we're talking about disciples who were raging cowards until he appeared to them in the middle of a locked room. Well, that's, that's who, remember, that's who he's talking to here, right? And so he wanted to remind them of something. Listen, you ran when I was arrested. You hid during my trial. You hid during my crucifixion. If we're going to succeed, that's got to stop. I am with you always, even until the end. I am with you. And why is he telling that? Because he wants them to draw strength from that. He wants them to draw faith from that. Right? As long as you're trying to do the will of God, you can trust that he will fight that battle for you. So before he sends them out, he was telling them, listen, they're going to beat you. They are going to mock you. They're going to steal from you. You're going to be hunted. But know this, we win because I'm the one fighting these battles for you if you let me. If you let me, I will fight these battles for you. That was his encouragement to them. Right now, listen, the Great Commission, the Great Commission was not just a one-time thing just for the disciples. I've literally heard people say that. Well, today's church can't go by the Great Commission. I'm like, what? You know, I'm not even going to go after that because there's so much I could preach on that. People thinking you know, about that, but it wasn't just for them. It was for everybody. That's why he had it written down. If it were just for them, would he have someone record it and leave it for us if it were a personal message it'd be just between those two he wanted us to know these things because this still is in effect we are still commissioned the same way we're commissioned to do the same things he asked of them right and 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 you'll never realize the power of that commission until you get off your couch you'll never understand the true power that god has in you and wants to present through you until you're willing to go and do the things he's asked you to do, until you're willing to do that.
Right? I'm, I'll, I'll be honest with you. This is something I think we really struggle with. And I'm not talking about just this church. I'm talking about the body of, of believers as a whole worldwide. I think that we have kind of bowed down to secularism. I think that we, we want to be politically correct. We, you know, we don't want to stir up any dust. And I think we just kind of hide in the corner and let the machine of the world just trample everybody down. Right? It, it breaks my heart when, when young kids come up to me at the age of 11 and 12 and say they don't believe in God. And I'm like, why? And they say, well, because you know what we were taught at school and what we were taught here? And I'm like, really? Have your parents taught you any different? Nope. You see what I mean? It's like we're just giving up. He said, go and make disciples of all nations. Gosh, you'd think that would start in your house. Right? But this is so important. This, it, it, it is so important that we realize we have to be willing to do this. We have to be willing to go. We have to be willing to make that sacrifice. When you hear us talk about missions, I, you know what? It's not just something other people do. If you haven't tried it, try it. Try it. It'll change your life. It really will. When you go and see people who speak a different language than you, who have a different culture than you, but love the same God as you, it does something for you as much as it does something for them. You know, when I heard these people singing praises while they were washing, teenagers singing praises while they were washing our dishes, and come to find out they were scraping, we didn't know this when we first got there, they were scraping the leftovers off our plate so they would have something to eat. You wouldn't know that, because they were singing praises while facing that. You know, we were able to praise God to help them to have a stable food supply, but, but tell me that wouldn't speak to you about gratitude and about the power of the presence of God in your life when people can sing praises. When I left there, I felt kind of bad saying we went on a mission to help them because it changed me. Right? This is so important. And if you're one of those people that says, you know what, I think we should reach people here, great, then quit whining and do it. I don't want to help people overseas. Where do you want to help here? I'll facilitate that too. Just go. You know, the commission is go. Now, I, I'll pick up there next week. We're gonna, next week, we're going to talk about salvation and sanctification and security. And the reason I'm covering these things is, like I said, the book of Matthew is more of a kingdom gospel. It talked a lot to the Jews. But I think it's really important as we leave this gospel, because we're about to go into the Old Testament, that you understand what faith in Christ really means, what sanctification really means. I want you to understand that you're secure. I want you to understand what baptism means, discipleship. We're going to go into all that more next week, but right now I'm going to ask you would to please bow your heads. We always like to give a brief invitation, and, and today that might be more brief than other times. I might have went over, but we believe the Word of God's still powerful. We believe that it moves in people's hearts, like we said earlier, and, and you know, if the word of God's speaking to you, I want to pray for you. And if you don't, if you're not sure where you stand with Christ, listen. Know this, the only difference between the most spiritual believer and you is faith, because they don't deserve it either. They're no better than you. So I want to pray for you. Just make eye contact and put your head right back down. I'm not going to point you out. Bless those people. I'm not going to chase you down after church. I just want to pray for those people. Bless those people. Listen, if you're watching online or listening online or podcast, whatever, I'm going to be praying for you as well. God knows your heart. But believers, I mean, this message really speaks to us in a, in a big way, and, and I, I want to pray for us especially because, listen, I don't want to become a fossil church, do you? I don't want to become those believers who just sit it out and wait to go to heaven. I don't want to stand before him someday 
and admit that the last commission he gave before he left this world, I ignored. So I'm going to pray for us too. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for all that you do. We thank you for your love and compassion. I'm so amazed that you can love us, Lord. Every day I prove why we need you. Every day when the simple thoughts go through my mind and the things that I do and say to show that we need you. We could never do this on our own. And I am thankful that you made a way for us to have eternal life simply by believing in what you've done for us and trusting it. So if someone here doesn't know you, no doubt the world has pumped so much misinformation into their mind. There's so many things holding them back, yet their heart still yearns to know you. There's someone here like that or listening or watching. I pray, God, that you just remove the fear and doubt and let them trust that what Jesus did was enough to guarantee their eternal life. And on the authority of God's word, on the authority of your word, we know that they'll become one of yours. But God, especially today, I'm ashamed, God, at, at how many times I make excuses instead of just trusting you to fight the battle for me and marching into war. God, let us as believers be more focused, more determined. We don't want our faith to be a part of our life. We want our life to be based on our faith. Let everything we do be ran through the screen of Scripture. Let our hearts desire to see others come to you and become disciples. Set us on fire for you, Lord. We just pray that as we leave here, you would keep us safe. Go with us. Let us live what we profess. But if you don't return to take us home before we meet again, let us come back here excited to give you all the praise, honor, and glory. You're so worthy of at least one more time. We just thank you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.